this is Haley Nauman, and you're listening to the Maybe Baby Podcast. back. I'm recording this in my new apartment, which maybe you can tell because it is a little echoey in here because there's not really much furniture in here yet. It's possible that I've mentioned that I am decorating my apartment, but who's to say? Anyway, I'm really excited to have Connie Wang on the podcast this week. Connie is the executive editor at Refinery29. She's written about style, fashion, culture for years and years. I think she's worked at Refinery for like 10 plus years. And she is, I just think her writing gets better and better and I really respect her perspective. And I was really excited to bring her on this week to talk about the topic I covered in my last newsletter, which was basically my, uh, well, what was the topic? It was consumerism, I suppose. It was specifically about decor, but that's just happened to be the kind of slice of consumerism I'm currently really focused on participating in. And after being seemingly swallowed by this whole world for what feels like months now, I wanted to just kind of like poke my head above water and try to look look at it from a different perspective of like, is this healthy? When is it healthy? When isn't it? And I think obviously this is just like a big conversation in general since we are such a consumerist culture. And I think a lot of people listening to this probably enjoy buying things just like I do and maybe also feel conflicted just like I do. So Connie shares all of those same feelings and I wanted to get her perspective as both a participant and an observer. So buckle up, get comfy, let's go. Okay, here we go. Yay! so nice to be talking to you in this capacity like we're not having a coffee in Soho um before the work day both looking very tired um but this is great I love this life for you oh my god I mean I would actually take the coffee in Soho right now but (laughs) (laughs) but wait it's actually morning for you nine I have been up since 5 30. I was just gonna say when we were scheduling the times you were suggesting I was like you clearly have a baby I do I've never been a morning person before but now I'm forced to be a morning person like doesn't matter what we did last night he's gonna be up at 6 30. oh my god is it crazy to have a baby yeah it is crazy it's very crazy to have a baby (laughs) (laughs) it is you know, like in uh, in Hustlers, um, when JLo's character is like, motherhood is a, what did she say? Like a mental illness. Um, I believe it. I understand <laughs> it. I live it. It's, um, it is, it's true. <laughs> it's true, ever- but it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, every, every extreme. So I've yeah, heard. It's, it's overwhelming in the best and, and sometimes the worst ways, um, but the best ways uh, tr- truly make up for the worst ways, although it is, um, it, it, Close. It, it, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Do you ever look around and think like, do you ever get whiplash just because, I mean, what was it like a year ago you were in New York, mm-hmm. no kid, no mm-hmm. pandemic, mm-hmm. now you're in LA with mm-hmm. a baby and a dog. Oh Yeah. Are yep. you just like, what happened to my life? Yeah, constantly. Um, but, I th- <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's like when there's like one major change, it helps when like other major changes happen too. Okay. And so you kind of, it's just like, I just swapped lives and I, I really, really, really like this life just as much as I really liked my, my New York life too. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was not a very gentle kind of fade into um, LA mom, dog mom, person who lives in not an apartment anymore <laughs> like yeah it's, a, it's pretty intense I had a mentor say to me once yeah she was like um it's good when things all the things happen at once just from like a kind of a perspective of you you're kind of forced to make decisions really really fast and you have to rely solely on your gut and you don't have time to sort of hem and haul and like agonize over the, the decisions that you make you just go and uh, she's like, it's a kind of a nice way to, to live your life because your gut instinct is usually right, you know? You don't have to waste <laughs> yeah. time. 
And I was like, I love how masochistic that is. Um, (laughs) And I'm just going to pretend that this is the truth because it feels good to think that is the truth. Honestly, that's kind of relevant to our conversation today. Like overthinking (laughs) things versus going with your gut. I mean, sort of. But um, speaking of which, I was looking through your byline, like reminding myself of things you've written over the last few years. And I was so surprised by like what... I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised. I'm sure a lot of people listening will relate to this trajectory, but um, we had really parallel like consumerist journeys, like all the way from like fast food paychecks in high school, paying for Forever 21 to like Mm -hmm. graduating to Urban Outfitters in college and like feeling really Mm -hmm. fancy about that. And then being pulled to New York from the Bay Area through like the world of opening ceremony, which was like the, the opening ceremony was like the first New York job I interviewed for. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't get it. I still lived in San Francisco at the time. But I just remember being so wooed. I read, I like reread your opening ceremony piece and it's, I miss opening ceremony so much. I'm like really sad that that store closed. So I'm Mm -hmm. really glad that you wrote an ode to it. But um, when I visited it, just like you, when I went to New York, I was just like, this is New York to me, which it isn't for a lot of people. Like it's a very particular, like, you know, fashion consumer slice of New York but Mm -hmm. um at the time I was so dazzled and I remember like thinking that if I was going to work there that was just going to be like the ultimate thing I was just going to be writing like uh descriptions of clothes on the website yeah but even Um, that that was like at the time too this is also such a product of like when we had these thoughts and like when we wanted these things um but at the time I was like yeah like if I could just write like short fun sentences all day long like that's all I want to (laughs) do Like, and that's what blogging is. Short, fun sentences, you know? And Twitter. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but I think now we're sort of, I mean, to like, to sort of drag the parallel out further, I think now, like in our thirties, we've been like contending more with our relationship with, um, like the consumer side of ourselves, Mm -hmm. whether that's going more into decor as we get older, like I still care about fashion too, but I think that like my relationship with it all is changing. And I think the biggest conflict within me that I think would be interesting for us to start with is just like feeling sometimes like what I want, like in a kind of like gut way is Mm -hmm. sort of in conflict with some of my values and feeling like shopping is like fun. Buying things is fun, but it's, it's obviously a burden on society. So like feeling that conflict is, um, I think just like a really interesting place to start and I'm curious what your relationship yeah. is it like right now oh absolutely one thousand 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 percent um I think that is probably one of the most telling um sort of ethical quandaries about being an American too um and living in a place that is so anchored in both democracy and capitalism like yeah and, and having those two things sort of like be like oh yeah they're the same they're like they're they're complementary to one another. What are you talking about? And then being able to just kind of see where that might be a lie, um, and feeling responsible for dealing with it yourself. Uh, that is like a if there's any sort of American value, that is it. Um, and I think that especially in this past year, especially having a baby, especially being very scared of going outside um, and uh, you know going to a grocery store, sort of felt like a a decision. You know, like it was a consequential decision um and not also being physically able to do these things because like I was recovering from a c-section I like had a newborn at home like relying on Amazon for my purchases uh was like a, a really really big ethical thing for me you know um I needed stuff ASAP you know I needed next delivery I really did um but my my options were Instacart uh, it was calling my friends to 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 pick things up and drive them to me, um, which is um, a burden that I didn't want to put on people. And then it was Amazon, you know, like, but the fact that I have to make this decision and I, I had to make this decision from a, a slew of unethical sorts of uh, uh, outcomes. I think that's the real scam here. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I always go back to the idea is like, it's really, really messed up that we don't have better options. Yeah. And, and the fact that it is on the individual to kind of make these really, really difficult ethical dis- decisions by our, not by ourselves, but like... At great sacrifice. Without, at great sacrifice to, to real people who we care about and that, that really do co- deeply complicate our morals. Like, I think that's, that's the real evil here. 
and it, it's not just shopping, right? And consumerism, it's like, it even goes to like getting the vaccine, you know, like it's it, it, to get the vaccine before your time, even if it is open to you and available to you and they're going to get thrown away. And that is an ethical decision they have to make. Kind of like shame on the government um, for forcing us to make that decision. It's not, it's and, not yeah. a... And turning us right. all against each other too. Everyone becomes a moralizer and it mm-hmm. becomes about like who is morally p- most pure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it keeps all our focus on each other instead of like the people in power. I, f- I was thinking about this actually in therapy recently because I was feeling mm-hmm. like frustrated that I felt like a lot of the people I admired fell into two camps, people mm-hmm. who did good and people who had fun. And I was like, why is there not more crossover? Like I felt, I feel really frustrated. Like I feel like there's a, there's a subset of like kind of, I, I'm sure you're familiar, like New York kind of art scene writers who are like really edgy and they don't give a shit about like being yep, good yep. or being seen as moral. They seem like they're having so much fun. They, uh-huh. they care about art and stuff like that, but they see that as being very disconnected from like morality or their sense of, indiv- of individual morality. And then there's the people who are like activists who are like, you know, they're out there marching. They're like, mm-hmm. they're doing, they're, there's a lot of self-sacrifice involved. Yep. And I, I felt like, I wish that these worlds weren't so far apart or I wish there were more models for like both. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's the consequence of like what our world has set up, which is that everybody is really um, alienated from each other mm-hmm. and from like genuine, like communal goodness and like the kind of more pure versions of like happiness. So that like the only way to be happy is to like escape everything at, yeah. or like, or if you actually do want to engage with making the world better, it comes out like such this great sacrifice. Whereas like, I think in an ideal world where like community was more um, like central, a central tenant, we had these community mm-hmm. spaces and like things like that. Then I think that they would more like, they would more often coincide. Absolutely. And I also think that like, that's a problem with, um, oh God, I hate saying these words, like your personal brand and like how you perform for people that quote unquote follow you, right? It's like some people have made it their brand to perform not funness. And some people have made it their brand to perform not moralness. Um, And that's not to say that the people who do good don't also have fun or the people who have fun don't do good but it's like they just don't talk about it and it's 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 difficult to witness those things right as like a as a person who's just following someone online or through social media um but you know the, the people who are who i consider to be like who live good satisfying decent lives know how to do both of those things right but the key is they know how to do both of those things for themselves and their communities without having to talk about it so no one knows it unless you're you know you're close with them um but i think not feeling the pressure to have to tell that story about yourself over and over again um takes away a lot of the i don't know the bad feelings around it yeah and that's a hard thing to talk about because we're on a podcast talking about ourselves right now. So, <laughs> you know? No, no, no. That's such a good point, though. Like, I think I know that a lot of activists, like, do try to center pleasure and relaxation, like, taking take, and taking rest and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think our world is set up in such a way that a lot of our avenues for rest and relaxation, like, are a burden on society. I think mean, there are ways to not, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, there are new communal spaces and there's, like, ways to find joy that are like completely divorced from the market Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there are so many options that aren't divorced from the market and it's that feel like much so much more accessible and easier and also like as people like us who were brought up to care about those things it's really hard to like go of them oh yeah and I don't know if I want to I don't (laughs) you don't (laughs) I don't I I love I love consumerism I am deeply skeptical and critical of consumerism, but I really, really love it. Not just as like a, 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 a individual practice that like the thing that makes me personally happy, but as a subject matter too. I think it is illuminating about the ways that we live and how society, like what society finds important. Um, and I also think that like things do bring you a lot of joy and happiness, especially if, you know, there's like a wonderful story around them or, you know, they remind you of memories and, and stuff. I like, I, I hoard things. <laughs> My entire house is just like filled with just ephemera um, that I have bought or found or, you know, been been given by, by by people I really love. And that literally is is a deep source of happiness for me. 
<laughs> yeah, I know, but does that make us like capitalist pawns? Yeah. Because don't you think like the idea of ownership and like being happy that you own something that gives you joy is like in your little like private alcove, it feels like a really part of this like this same sort of problem. Or it's, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated, yeah. You know, it's, it's not exactly pure to be like, I love these things because they make me, you know, I think a big yeah. problem I had with Manor Parlor had a lot of great times there and everything, but I think like I always struggled with the founding principle Mm -hmm. which was that just like if fashion gave you joy that meant it was good mm -hmm. but yeah I find yeah. that much more complicated you know I mean you can walk out of the house and feel incredible and that can actually kind of come with some baggage because like you feel like you look better than other people like it's almost a comparative joy or it's like mm -hmm. a give me attention it's like not as much about connection as I think we try to sell ourselves at times and at least like, and I, I do think sometimes it is about connection and everything like it's both mm -hmm. but I feel like if we don't appreciate both you just get caught up in, it's like similar to the girl boss myth, where it's like, as long as you keep convincing yourself that like, this is all good, then uh -huh. like, you can just kind of close out like the actual implications, which is that like, yeah. you're attached to your things, which is maybe not healthy. That's true. I, I, I see your perspective. Um, and I really think that I've, tr I've tried to not see things in such binary ways that things are good and things are bad because I don't believe that things are blanketly good or blanketly bad. I think yeah. that things are valuable and meaningful for different reasons to different people. And it's important to, to understand where that, like, that, where that value comes from and what principles kind of lead you to determining something has value. And that value is valid and also the harm that sometimes it creates is also valid. So like, those are, that, that, those are the things, but it's also important to understand too, it's just like in, sure, being surrounded by things that you own is like a, it seems like it is an expression of capitalism full stop, but it is also an expression of your community and just like human nature too, you know? Like people yeah. have always surrounded themselves with things that they love. Like that's what, that's what art is, you know? That's what, have, that's what you know, even communal living, like you, you are surrounded by things that, you know, reflect you back to you or reflect your values and stuff back to you. Totally. Even if I didn't own this stuff, <laughs> you know, like I feel, I feel just as good giving things away. Um, I know this is, now we've gotten kind of off topic, but I just, I, I do not think it's, very useful to see things in very black and white. This is good. This is bad ways. Um, and I think that like fashion does give people a lot of joy. That doesn't mean it is good, but I think that it means that is there's value there and it's important to interrogate those values. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I'm coming from this, I think like my, I'm letting like the devil on my shoulder speak through so far, but like, obviously like on the other side, I've been really into decorating my apartment right now. I'm very, I'm <laughs> glad you brought up value and like intangible value because that's something that I've been talking a lot about with Avi, uh -huh. my boyfriend, who he can understand like what I mean when I say that like a space influences how you think and feel and behave and that that has, that's, has value, especially like, yeah. you know, he's really enjoyed living with me versus by himself because like our home has been much homier and like a nicer space to be in. So he, I think he does, he can track that pretty clearly, mm -hmm. but there's a certain point where he's just like, I don't like, let's talk about dining chairs. For instance, <laughs> dining yeah. chairs are very expensive. Yes, Why? they are. Do you have that experience? So I bought my dining chairs from Ikea 10 years ago and they have served me fine. Um, but I bought my chairs at Ikea because their dining chairs are too fucking expensive. Um, even I was like, okay, I'm going to go to a Goodwill and just like find matching dining, like dining room chairs. And you know, that, that will be it. And I couldn't, I just, I literally couldn't do it. I couldn't find any chairs that like, didn't look like they didn't belong in my space, you know? Yeah. Um, but Ikea was, it, w it was fine. Um, you know, and they don't actually make those chairs anymore. So they sort of look, uh, very special and unique. So they that resell. <laughs> I've been like, I follow so many vintage resellers now and a lot of them resell Ikea stuff are really expensive. Have you seen that? Oh, I know. Yes. It's, it's crazy. Like, Ikea has been around for a long time and they have done quite a few, like very interesting things, especially from the seventies. Um, but yeah, no, I've seen like lamps and things that I like recently bought like sold as like vintage Ikea stuff. I'm like 2008 was not vintage. <laughs> maybe no, it well, is actually, Connie. Maybe we need to dude, admit our age. Yeah. 13 years old. Now maybe that's vintage. <laughs> yeah. I did see, I saw like 
something that was somebody was like I paid ten dollars for this originally in the comments, but they were selling like a little. I think it was a little coat rack for like two hundred fifty dollars or something. Oh wow! Oh, <laughs> really, wow. really funny. Yeah, but yeah, but okay. On the topic of dining chairs, mm-hmm. I've been having trouble explaining the va- like the value. Like when he really when Avi presses me and he's like, I want to understand, like, this isn't something I've cared about. And I can tell that it's something about it is intangible. You know, it's beyond the value of this looks nice and I can sit in it. It goes mm-hmm. beyond that. Right. Cause like, why would you spend, let's say like $150 per chair? Yeah. If it doesn't yep. have some, like, he's like, there's some value system that I'm not privy to. And like, I can't explain it. I can't really explain it. Well, I think, <laughs> I think that I am so over feeling very, very uncomfortable in living in my home um, that I don't like the feeling of like sitting in a chair that I find really uncomfortable and knowing that it's uncomfortable every time I sit in the chair and then choosing not to sit in the chair, (laughs) you know, and that becomes a blight in my house. Like I I just, I don't want to surround myself with that kind of thing anymore because it makes me angry and sad and frustrated every time I engage with that area of my house. And I just made the decision now, like now that I have more disposable income than I've ever had in my life, I am not going to blow it on just like trying out like different things and surrounding myself with stuff. I'm going to just be intentional about the things that I buy now so I don't ever have to buy them again. Um, and it's worked out pretty, pretty well for me. There is a huge difference between sitting in a very, very cheap chair that doesn't like when I say cheap too, I don't actually mean price tag because some of the most expensive chairs are made without any sort of like understanding how the human body functions (laughs) like the fact that you don't want your knees to be that high up and like your feet are dangling and like everything's cutting into you and stuff um I don't like sitting in those dining chairs I think some of the really comfortable chairs are actually not like much more affordable I just want to like like I want to live in my house without having to think about how uncomfortable I am there's so much discomfort in the world (laughs) in in public spaces that at home I should be comfortable you know yeah I think that process is an important part of it. Like, that's something that I think Avi and I have difference, which is like, I decorated so many apartments over the course of my 20s mm-hmm. really cheaply, like really sort of like, oh, like this is sort of trendy, but I found it for really cheap. But like, and then in a year I'm like, I don't even like this. Like, why did I buy this? And I, so I feel like I've been through this process a lot where now I'm like ready to invest. And he's uh-huh. just like, he hasn't, he's jumping from like not really decorating to like, I mean, yeah. we've lived together for two years before, but this is our first apartment where we're, like, starting fresh together. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we brought our stuff, but it's a bigger space and we need more things. And so that I think he's... Is, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. I did the same thing with um, my now husband, but we moved in together, um, uh, I guess, fairly early on in our relationship. I think it was only after, like, six months or so. Wow. Is that right? Something, something like that. Um, I don't even remember now. We've been together for so long. Um, but that process was really pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, I came in with just enough furniture for um, a, a single girl uh, living in um, a tiny bedroom that only fit like a full-size bed and nothing else. And he came from sort of like like just a mattress on the ground, sheets that didn't fit, like a T-shirt on his pillow as a pillowcase, like really oh. that real dirtbag life. Um and uh, we, we started doing all these things together and taking our time, I think, but like, and that's like one big thing. I think you should take your time when, when, when filling your space. And we thought we took our time and we did it so quick. And then I made so many bad decisions that first time around that now that I moved to LA, I'm, I'm moving a lot slower. Um, and I think that that is a good thing. But the slowness is excruciating that I'm so impatient. Yeah. Like I'm like... I, we didn't have everything. a couch for five, six months. Like we didn't have a place to really sit, like and be comfortable sitting in our in our home. Um, and and I spent some of my pregnancy being <laughs> being forced to only sit on that's, chairs. Maybe that's too slow, Connie. Six <laughs> months. Well, this I could is, never. This is a big story. I know. I bought this couch thinking, and I and I chose this company. I'm not going to say the company, but I chose this company because they said that they manufactured um, locally and they use like local makers and, and whatever. And I was like, this is great. The couch looks great, and I sat on it in the showroom and it feels comfortable. I'm going to buy it. And they're like, it's going to take three months to ship. I was like, but why? They're like, well, yes, uh, we use local manufacturers in China, and then we ship them to... I was like, oh, my God, you can't oh. do that. That's like, what a bait and switch. 
Because I, I thought that one of the big, you know, upsides from buying local is that you don't have to, you know, the carbon footprint for, for shipping is so much lower. And I was like, oh, my God, the idea that is on a ship right now and like traveling across the ocean when I thought like I was not doing that, especially yeah. not doing that. It's too late now. But the couch is great. Okay. I really like the couch. That's good. It, it brought me a lot of joy after I was able to sit in it. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, yeah. That, up until then, we were just sitting in chairs watching TV and like in chairs, like in a nursing home or something. It was really bizarre. <laughs> watching TV and, <laughs> and matching chairs. Yeah, that's big nursing home energy. <laughs> I want to talk to you about like taste versus trending it, like being mm-hmm. having taste and being on trend, which mm-hmm. I think are often conflated. Like I think, yeah. and this is why I really like that you've taken to writing about style like outside of just the realm of like what's cool in New York and LA which I think can be really like insular and like circle jerky like I think that sometimes sometimes I feel like you know if we're talking about decor for instance like it becomes like a race to who can just like be on trend the earliest and like that becomes taste like Mm -hmm. taste is like who had a checkerboard rug first (laughs) you know it's like and it's like and like I I do like checkers. Like I have to, like, I'm, I am, I am also, you know, bending to the trends. I'm influenced by what's, it, it feels true to me, but I can mm-hmm. tell, you know, if I'm like, you know, leave my body and look from above. Yep. I know the checkerboard is in right now and it will oh, yeah. not be in, in a few years or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's really hard sometimes to pull apart, um, because there is a little bit of taste involved. Like, you know, there's people right now who don't like checker. And so I think that, like, there are times, ta- you know, there is a little bit of like, what is your taste according to what's on trend? But like, ultimately, yep. it doesn't feel like the same thing as having taste. So I'm curious yeah. as someone who's like, first of all, whose taste I really like and who seems oh. to have developed over a long time. And also someone who's written a lot about style. I'm curious your opinion on the difference between these two. Wow, so many compliments, Haley. I don't know what to say. <laughs> As someone who is not so confident that they have good taste, um, <laughs> I love your taste, Connie. Thank you, but I would I will say that it is it is my taste, and, and it's it's weird how this is played out because I think the things that I like in other people's homes that I react to really strongly on on social media and um, just through through imagery somehow don't end up in my home. And I'm not sure how exactly that happens. Um, I think it's mostly because like, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a pretty big cheapskate. Uh, so like, I will, like, it takes, it. I don't shop a lot, which I think is kind of interesting to, to people. I, I buy things that I need for, in a functional kind of way. Like if I need a new kettle, I will buy that kettle and I'll buy an expensive kettle because I use it every single day. But when it comes to like a rug for the house, like you'll, you, you saw me with the couch, like, I will not make a decision for months and it will just, I will not have a rug for, for years, you know? Um, and I'm okay with that because by the time that I'm really ready to, I'm truly sick of not having a rug. Um, I don't want the checkerboard rug anymore. Um, so, I mean, it's, I know this is a tactic for a lot of people like to put things in their, their carts and kind of let it marinate and, and, and see it every single day for a week. And then at the end of the week, if you still want it, you should buy it. And if you don't want it, don't buy it. I do that, except my timeline is maybe like months long. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, that takes so a lot I, of patience. It does take a lot of patience, but I find a lot of like, it's gratifying enough to put things in your cart and that's it. You know, <laughs> I think it, it's, it's, I speaks to like sort of how I was raised. Like my parents said no a lot when it comes to, you know, buying stuff. Um, I like when it comes to toys and, and clothes and all those things, it was like for your birthday, uh, for back to school and kind of that's it. You got like, you have this much money to make your decisions, use it wisely. So I got really, really good at kind of like mood boarding and dreaming <laughs> and then feeling satisfied by that process and not having to actually go and move forward with, with those things. That said, uh, yeah, how do you avoid um, and trends and, um, and, and, and having taste? Um, I think not worrying about it. What's the difference? I think, I think not. Uh, taste is, a, is personal, right? Like taste is having personal style. And personal style is uh, being liking things as much as not liking things and having people compliment you as much as people dismiss your style. And if you are comfortable with when people are like, oh, what are you wearing? Or like, oh, that's an interesting choice. Like, 
I think that that's kind of when you know that your 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 personal taste is actually personal. Um, and if you're comfortable with people sort of like turning their nose down at what you're wearing and how you're filling up your home, uh, I think that's a sign that you probably are um, not a sucker, <laughs> like not a social media sucker. But again, there's no, nothing wrong with being a sucker. I just think that like the problem with like being led by trends first as your like main kind of like North Star and how you make your decisions about purchasing is that like you kind of always feel unfulfilled and you always have to keep chasing what's next because at a one point things are going to fall out of trend and you're going to be disappointed with what you have and feel the need to replace it. The good thing about having a strong sense of like taste is that it doesn't change that much. Like the, the, the contours of it might, might change a little bit, but those things are kind of, they, they last your entire life. So if you buy something once because it is your taste. You're gonna you're gonna want to have it around forever. Um, in a way, yeah. that is like a much more sustainable way to to approach shopping than um, than trends. So I, that's the difference to me. Um, yeah. One one is much more ephemeral, and one is um, more sustainable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people ask me a lot about. I don't really write about fashion very much anymore, but I still get questions for some reason about like how do you find your personal style, and I think. My answer would be that like it actually takes a lot of time because for me it's like I have I have followed trends a lot throughout my 20s. When I the, the closest I ever feel to my taste is something that I feel like I always come back to like no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like I've always been drawn to this silhouette like over years and like I'm just ultimately like I feel like you can almost look back. It's not something that you can have when you're young, I don't think. Like you almost need the hindsight at least I, yeah. do, I do, to really understand what I like. And I think the same could probably be said for my home, but maybe I just don't, since you, we, I buy things from my home, like, less often. Mm-hmm. You know, your home is the same for years, whereas, like, you change your outfit every day. So I feel like maybe I just don't have as strong of a, a sense of, like, what I love. And I feel like my home decor taste is still pretty influenced by my, yeah. by trends, really. Well, it's it's a journey. Like you don't all of us, you don't come into this world fully formed with a sense of personal style. Like personal style is something that um, is is a consequence of having like having experienced a lot of stuff, right? So if you're and and, and, and then also understanding the vocabulary um, around whatever medium it is that you're playing in. So you really deeply understand fashion and like how and what clothes say. You understand the color balance and silhouettes and what it means to wear like one funky shape on top and not a funky shape on bottom. Like and, and balance. Uh, you like those things like come naturally to you where it doesn't you you don't have to translate things anymore. It's just you are able to read fashion because you understand it as a language. Can you do that with music? Can you do that with fine art? Can you do that with food? Like, I think in, in every single medium, like, it, you have to kind of, like, get messy and, like, experiment and, like, do things that are in bad taste and do things that are super untrendy in order to kind of come up to your own opinion about what you like. And it's the same thing with home home stuff. Um, but the difficult thing about home stuff is it's really expensive. It's so, like, so experimenting. <laughs> experimenting sort of out of the window. Um, you can't really experiment. Um, but in that way, like, that's kind of why I like social media. You get to sort of like experiment there um, and then slowly, slowly make those, bring those things into your own home when you're ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I guess sometimes I just worry that I'm falling into the trap of, I mean, to get back to capitalism, it's like, if I feel like my identity is tied by like, to, I was tied to what I consume or is expressed through what I buy or how I decorate. <laughs> that feels like just a, a train that's like going in, in the wrong. Okay. I don't want to be too binary about it. It's, it's yeah. complicated. <laughs> um, it's complicated, but there's definitely a shadow side to it. And I guess like I'm trying to navigate, you know, when, when is this me expressing myself? Mm-hmm. And when is it like keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing, which isn't like, you know, I don't I don't think people consciously think I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, like I think mm-hmm. in movies it's expressed much more literally or someone's like trying to buy the thing that's cool. Whereas I think it's in real life, it's maybe a little less obvious to us or like we just think that we want this thing when really like actually I think you want to be part of this group that also likes this thing and that makes you feel like you belong, but it's not actually, that's more an expression of you wanting to belong than it is about your personality or whatever. It's very complicated. And I feel like really torn between those, especially when I have Avi who is sort of pushing me to explain. And sometimes I'm just like, I don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. why do I want chrome cantilever dining chairs? 
Why? <laughs> I bought gold uh, cantilever yeah. dining chairs a couple years ago that I loved, and now I think they look way too gold. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand why yeah. he doesn't want to buy things, because he's like, you're going to change your mind. And I'm like, but I want to invest. And then I'm like, yeah. ugh, I'm just so... I know. And, but the thing is, like, these are small stakes conversations, right? Like, part of, like, the fun of it is disagreeing and uh, making the wrong decision sometimes and then having to start over. I think that, like, as long as you're doing it and having fun and not agonizing over these decisions, which it seems like sometimes you might agonize, um, <laughs> that means step away. Just make the easy decision, you know? Um, do things that are fun for you. It's your home. I'm just, like, I'm in this place where I'm, like, if you cannot feel comfortable and, and and feel free to sort of like live your life at home, where can you? Like, where should you go? Um, yeah. And I think that there that 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 in itself is meaningful. But I think that like having to agonize about these small small decisions, um, especially when they're just purely aesthetic decisions, um, that of course the consumer side to it, the capitalistic side to it, has you know ripple effects. Um, but these are small stakes decisions. <laughs> there are small stakes, but I, and, and of course, like, I think these are, I think I, maybe I think of it as more of a metaphor of like, what does it mean to center your identity in like what you buy? And mm -hmm. I think that's really popular right now, especially as like, as you said, we're starting to really moralize consumerist decisions. Mm -hmm. um, I'm talking about, obviously I've been talking about aesthetics, like Chrome versus gold, but I think, um, you know, you could extrapolate that out further to like ethical shopping or other kinds mm -hmm. of shopping. And I think sometimes I wonder how we can sort of be aware of the limits of that like framework. Yeah. I think it's really, really good to live your life with a lot of intention and, and to, to that extends to how you shop, you know, and, and how you decide to spend your money. Um, and the, the small decisions that you make in your consumer choices do ladder up to, um, you know, just it, it speaks to who you are as a person. That is, that is absolute. That is true. But it is not a solution to, I think, of society's, like, bigger ills. And that's a problem that I actually see a lot on social media, especially from the fashion and beauty industry in particular. People talk about shopping with intention as a kind of, like, panacea for things as complicated as racism, you know, or sexism yeah. um, or discrimination. And I, I, I think that as long as we don't, think that way we don't think that it is a like it isn't a, a, a full solution to these problems it, it i think that any sort of more intention and more ethical um that you can go with these decisions is, is a good thing um but i see things like the, the with, when it comes to like the recent spate of like um violence against asian americans is the answer really buying more asian beauty brands you know like I, that's where i think that these are two things that are completely missing the point you know right. like we are at a point now, and I, and I wrote something about this, where, like, Asian representation in Hollywood, um, in beauty counters, in, um, you know, in, in the C-suite, like, Asian representation in these, like, big um, institutions are there. And, you know, we're, we're breaking ground in ways that we've never broken ground before. And that's a completely different thing in community than what's what's happening with 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 violence um on the on the ground you know um it is one of them really only gets to benefit the sort of elite class of people who are entrepreneurs and creatives and and celebrities um and then the other side you know do they benefit by going being able to go to the movie theaters um and being able to see asian faces you know like yes in culturally like there are benefits to that but if the solutions also have to be based in our institutions, in our communities, in our economies, in our state. Um, and we have to be critical of those policies. The answer yeah. isn't shopping more smart. The answer is, I don't know, grassroots organi organizing. If you are also <laughs> yeah. not doing those things, um, your shopping isn't enough. And, in, and it's disingenuous to pretend that your shopping is, is activism. Um, it can help it can help with that. It can um, sort of like lead you down that path and become and help you become more aware of these issues. But if that is your only solution to these problems, like I don't know if you're doing enough or I don't know if you should be posting on Instagram stories in the way that you feel comfortable doing. Yeah. And I'm not saying you, I'm saying no, 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 you for sure. as like the, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've felt the same frustration with like the shopping thing because I feel like 
capitalism is still like is feeding that, that like the the capitalist beast is like part of why these problems exist in the first place. So I think like feeding it more and like working within its same framework is like is gonna just sort of like um, fortify it further. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like they feel like they're not. It's not in conversation necessarily with like obviously like the economic precarity of people like at the bottom. Yeah, and in the margins. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we overemphasize like the cultural. I mean, it comes down to like individualist versus collective, right? Because like, you know, you can say that there's an economic benefit to like representation, but it's mostly to like the person who got the job, who's like now at the table yeah. and not Absolutely. necessarily the community. I mean, especially, I mean, not to even get into like the power corrupts territory, but like we've watched a lot of people come into political office who mm -hmm. are like kind of riding the wave of like belonging to a particular marginalized class. And once they get into power, they are not actually helping helping that class. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's really important to, to see exactly who it is that gets to benefit from gestures that like the establishment gives out because they are guilty of doing like doing things wrong wrongly in the past or doing things unjustly in the past but like it seems like the only people who get to benefit are those who are actually the most privileged within a marginalized community already right. um and and i'm not saying that those people and I, I include myself in that group too it's like those people um and like we receive those benefits, but like, what are we then using with those, the, the, that sort of like outsized platform that we have? Um, yeah. Are we then extending, like, are we passing the mic? Are we shining the spotlight onto the real ills? Um, or are we just like taking that paycheck and kind of like swirling it away? Um, so yeah, this is, uh, I feel like we've, we've, <laughs> <laughs> kind of zoomed out like really, really far. No, I love to zoom out. But I mean, you know what I think is the connection? And like I think this is where I get into like kind of black and white moralizing territory where I start to feel like I think you made a good point. Shopping at those places, it doesn't have to be bad. It's only bad when it replaces like other mm -hmm. like more urgent change that needs to happen. And I think maybe that can be applied to this like to this idea that our identity and our our consumption are somehow linked which is that like yes there can be community and connection through like the items we surround ourselves with or the items we put mm -hmm. in our bodies but as a solution for community and connection it's like it's it's woefully inadequate yes i absolutely agree you know i think that the most important thing that like home decor does to you is it frees up your mind and your energy res like reserves um, to spend on more important things, right? Mm. Um, if you feel comfortable at home, if, if you feel like, re re like rejuvenated and restored and in like, I don't know, just like, if your home doesn't drain you. And I've lived in a lot of homes that drain you. I have no energy 100%. to actually accomplish things, you know? Um, That's so funny. So, like, I wrote I, that in my newsletter this week. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I said it like exactly. If your drain like if your home drains you, then that's you're not going to be go out and be like the most the happiest version of yourself or the most giving or generous version. Exactly, and if and if the only reason that you're engaging in home decor or whatever is like, and that is all consuming, and that is a thing that um, becomes the like the only place that you place your attention. Maybe you're take, you've taken things a little too far. It, it could be your job. Like, that's, that's, that's a different thing. But in your personal life, if you're doing it just for fun and it is all-consuming, um, you know, maybe you're just taking it a little too seriously then at that point. And I've definitely done that before. But um, I, I think that that's also what life is about, you know, kind of like going past the line and, you know, finding <laughs> where you're comfortable and then pushing things a little bit further and bringing it back. Um, if that's you're not so constantly, true. That's the whole thing. It's the whole deal. Yeah. If you're not negotiating, um, you know, like, what are, what are you actually doing? You're not growing. <laughs> great, great line, Connie. What you said about, um, like, not being drained, it reminds me of, to go back to that conversation with my therapist, where I was like, I wish that these two pools overlapped more in my mm -hmm. mind. She was like, nobody likes a martyr. <laughs> nobody likes a martyr. <laughs> That's what she said. I think she's referencing martyr syndrome, which is just like mm -hmm. a person who feels like the more they suffer, the better they are. And um, a lot of times that's projected onto other people, which is that like, I I'll actually, I'll share a little anecdote she gave me that I've been thinking a lot about, which is that um, this is a mother, relevant to your interest perhaps, <laughs> this is a mother, a motherhood anecdote. She said, you know, a kid, 
kids might not like necessarily when they're if their mom doesn't make them dinner and says like too bad I just want to lay on the couch like you guys figure it out but they prefer that they may not know it but they prefer that over a mother who never does that and then grows to resent the kids which yeah. is a pr- it's maybe a pretty obvious point but I think it helps that's me dark of- though yeah, she, 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 she was just wow. sort of like, I mean, not making dinners may be extreme, but she's like, you know, have a, have a bowl of cereal. Like, I'm just, I can't do yeah. it tonight. Like, I need time for myself or whatever. And she was saying that, like, you know, giving, giving, giving and never, never taking for yourself, never resting actually doesn't make you the best, um, most giving version of yourself because the best place to give of yourself is from a place of, like, restfulness and joy, Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to, to oh, be very yeah. cliche and this comes back to like all the activism stuff too and I think like people like um, I'm forgetting is it like Adrian Marie Brown or something like that the pleasure activism I'm forgetting oh, I'm not sure I'll link her in the end I'm forgetting her name but Adrian Marie Brown yes that is the her politics name. of feeling good uh-huh. yeah the politics of feeling good yeah I think she, she talks a lot about I mean hers is maybe a slightly different angle which is that like it's almost radical to like have pleasure in a life that's in like this, mm-hmm. this current climate but, um, yeah, the idea of, like, recharging yourself and, like, having some fun sometimes it will actually make you better when you are giving of yourself. Which is, like, this can start to sound like a grand justification for, like, buy whatever you want. Like, go crazy. Be selfish. Which is not what it is. But I do mm-hmm. think that, like, at least for me, if someone like me who can, like, really go into martyr territory or, like, self-discipline is, like, always good. Hard work is always better than relaxing. And, like, I am really <laughs> like that. It's helpful for me to, like try to like you know yeah i mean like one big red flag i think of the martyr like uh sort of drive for martyrdom is when things become transactional you know that things have 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 broken um and when Mm. when you feel like actions are transactional or activism is transactional or even love like that's a big one um when you feel like i wished you a happy birthday how come you forgot my birthday Mm -hmm. you know like and that that's a simple transaction that i've come across before i'm terrible with remembering people's birthdays and um uh that's 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 um whatever I mean, it's important. Some people find it really important. Um, and, uh, you know, that it's, it's actually one of my 2021 goals that I've actually flubbed on already. Um, but I think that, like, transact- like when you, when you think about things in a zero-sum kind of way, when it's like, I scratched your back, why don't you scratch mine? It means that you're not coming from a place of, like, real self-awareness. Um, and I think about self-care from the perspective of self-investment. Like, you have to know... And also self-awareness, too. If you don't know the community that you're a part of, the world that you're a part of, and sort of your relationship with between all of these things, um, you have no idea how to take care of yourself. You also have no idea how to take care of the people around you. And so people who spend too much time on self-care, who, but who aren't self-aware, like I think that is probably not good advice to, to, to give people. I think that some of the least self-aware people spend so much time on self-care. Um, and I think that, that that is kind of a, maybe it's a disservice um, at a certain point um, to think that a bubble bath is going to cure sort of like what hurts. Um, it might feel okay temporarily and, 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 and is necessary um, uh, in the moment. But I think that like, true self-satisfaction and truly feeling like, um, I don't know, comfortable in your skin and in the world and, 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 and your actions, um, you know, comes from being uncomfortable a lot. And, and it, it, that is care. Being uncomfortable, I think, is care. If you're not having those difficult conversations with people, if you're not doing things that really challenge your mind and your, your ethics and your soul, um, that's not self-care, I think. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, I mean, also, I think self-care just means completely different things to different people. Like somebody who is very, who is really focused on other people, like maybe selfishness or tapping into their like kind of id, their hedonistic Mm -hmm. wants, like is very rare for them. And like, that does, that does represent care. But to someone who does that a lot, (laughs) who Mm -hmm. is very tapped into their id and their hedonism, that's not going to be care for them. Like they need to tap into their, their needs, mm-hmm. which usually involve like giving of themselves or whatever. I think like this is the, pro- I think this is probably the problem with like advice culture in general, which is that like everybody yeah. needs different advice. Everybody what? needs different advice. And you know, 
the biggest and most meaningful change in my life that's happened um, that has had the biggest positive impact on my sense of self and my 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 comfort with myself and the sort of like room and space in which I have to to do things that I find challenging and difficult isn't actually becoming a mother. It's not actually moving across the country or like having room now to, you know, having, having more than one bedroom and having more than one bathroom. It's having money. Um, I think self, like having money is the biggest facilitator towards being able to kind of reap from self-care and, and, and self-investment. Um, and that is um, a, a product of the sort of like, you know, like you said, we live in a capitalistic world um, and this is just like pure evidence of it. Um, you know, I stepped into an executive editor position last year um, and with that came an executive editor uh, salary. Um, and people ask me now, it's like, do you feel so stressed at work? Do you feel so much anxiety? And I have to be honest, I like, I, I, I feel stressed about some of the work and the stories that we're telling and um, making sure that we're getting it right. But in terms of like the, of the, 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 the functions of the job, responding to emails, responding to slacks, like making sure that, you know, everything, all these things are taken care of. I don't feel stressed about that for the first time in my life, because I know that I have some financial security for also the first time in my life. Yeah. And that is the absolute most powerful form of self-care. Um, the fact and it that shouldn't like, I don't, be. and it shouldn't be, <laughs> and it shouldn't and it be, really yeah, shouldn't be. be. Yeah. 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 It's so, really like, heartbreaking. What do we do with that? Yeah, what yeah. do we do with that? I mean, it's so hard. I mean, I feel the same way with like, you know, thinking back to like how I lived or what was stressing me out five years ago, even when I yeah. moved to New York is so different from now. And it's not fair. It's like, it's not, I, I agree. Like I feel I've noticed, you know, now that I, the thing for me that's changed the most, first of all, I was like on the edge of my seat as you were saying, like the thing that's changed everything. And I was like, oh, I need to know, was it an <laughs> affirmation? <laughs> of yes, course it's money. It's a post-it note. <laughs> Honestly, thank you for just saying it's money. Like I think that that's, yeah people tiptoe around it and like I think that's part of how we got into this like neoliberal it's all about hard work it's like actually money is really what can give you peace of mind and it shouldn't it be is. that way which it should be kind of like hopefully is an impetus to fight for a different world but what mm -hmm. I was going to say which is maybe kind of related to money I think for me it's been just time like this job does mm -hmm. not take as much time as my last job and that has completely changed my life completely yeah. like it's like and that doesn't mean I'm not working hard like I work so hard on this like little newsletter yeah. and like <laughs> I work hard on on like each part of it uh -huh. but the fact that I have time to think like I can spend a day you know I'm thinking about what I want to write about this week I can spend a day reading articles pulling out books that I think have parts that are relevant going on a walk mm -hmm. and thinking about it meeting a friend for lunch and talking to them about it like I can have a day mm -hmm. a weekday doing that and yeah. I think that that's like it sounds like the ultimate luxury, but it's mm -hmm. actually like such an important part of the process that I would never be able to sustain doing without. And so it's yeah. like, it actually is kind of part of the work, but it's not, it doesn't feel like it. I feel so indulgent. And it's like, that's because we've gotten, I have gotten so used to like life just needing to be like nonstop the bad part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I think, and again, this comes back to money. Like who can, I can take that time because I'm not working a second job and because I work for myself and can make my own hours and things like that. It's ultimately financial and economic. Yeah, it is. I'll tell you the biggest thing that I learned from being a features writer for um, two-ish, three years um, is that when I publish, when I hit publish on a story and I know that I put 100% of, of my, my brain grapes into it, that I have examined the story from every single angle that I feel so confident about my argument that I know that I'm I'm right because I proved that I've right I'm right and I've earned my that that justification and feeling right um I the the, the amount of work that goes into the story also feeds me right it is the it, it's it can be draining that work can be really draining but it is also really really um fueling um and I really kind of see my ultimate goal, you know, as someone who now is in a leadership position in a newsroom, it's like, how do we, how do I set it up in structural ways in incentivized ways in institutional kinds of ways where every single reporter and writer in a newsroom gets to feel 
that luxury that you said, but on a day-to-day basis, right? It's not a luxury. That is how work should be. Um, yeah. Work should be in the pursuit of creating like meaningful things of value, published things of value. Um, and if you're not proud every time you hit the publish button, um, that's that's a problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You said like draining and fueling, which seems so at odds, but I think maybe what you mean, if I'm correct, is like, it's draining day to day, but it's like in in a long-term zoomed out lens, it's like ultimately fueling you towards like things you care about. And I think what gets really hard is when like, that's not there. And so like everything Mm -hmm. is just really draining. And I think like this, I mean, broken record on capitalism, but I feel like we're in jobs where we're pretty close to the product, but a lot of people aren't. And like the further yeah. you get from the product where like you're just entering numbers has nothing to do with what the company produces mm-hmm. and like maybe what they even produce is really soft and hard to define and quantify. Like yeah. it, it becomes really hard for that work to be fueling. And so yeah. I think that like, but, but everyone's told it should be, <laughs> which is why yeah. like everyone feels so alienated and confused and they feel like it's their fault. Mm-hmm. And then to bring it back to consumerism, they buy things to make themselves feel better because that's like what we have at our, it's not, I don't think it's people's fault for turning to those places for joy. It's like all we're offered. Yeah, it is all <laughs> we're offered. I know. Um, it's okay also not to have a sense of purpose at work. Um, sometimes yeah. your purpose is the paycheck. That's, and that can be enough. Um, but then you can't have to work all the time. Exactly. Sorry, yeah. I didn't yeah. have to do. No, that's right. It's like, yeah. it's, and, and that, the thing that fuels you is the paycheck. Um, and the thing that drains you shouldn't match that exactly, you know? Um, you can't be operating at a deficit. And when you are, it's very obvious and it doesn't help anyone, you know, yeah. especially the, the, the person who's feeling it. Yeah, I mean, and we're a country operating on a deficit. And I think this all, it really does come back. I know we're kind of, we're, we're out of time, but I think it does come back to like why we lean on consumerism, like where mm-hmm. this cycle comes from, which is that it's where people feel like they can express themselves when, they're, mm-hmm. when they can't do that anywhere else and don't even have time to build communities and do these things that actually are maybe enriching longer term than buying yeah. a new sweater. You know? That's a big statement. I mean, that's a really important thing. Um, we do not feel a sense of control in our lives because we we honestly don't have a sense of like we don't have control and agency over so much of our lives that like the the what we what we do to fill up the the the, the space within the four walls that we inhabit like that is a semblance of control. Um, but if we if we if we accept that, you know, um, we can do some really fun and amazing things with it and, and really help build ourselves up. Um, but again, it's not a solution to these like the fact that we don't have control in our lives. And we should it's, a be using that, it's a band-aid. It's a band-aid. It's a really fun extra band-aid. energy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a really fun and pretty band-aid that might be checkerboard pattern. <laughs> Honestly, a checkerboard band-aid <laughs> sounds cute. Oh, my God. Checkerboard. Save me. <laughs> Uh, don't worry I also have checkerboard maybe not in this room but certainly in my space you do I do love it it's good I have checkerboard hand towels oh boy (laughs) I'm not getting any more though I'm not you're not uh okay well Connie this is so nice it was really nice to talk to you. Uh, hopefully we can get that coffee again soon or in the same city um, in, in post-vaccined um, in life. Um, Are you vaccinated? I have my first shot. Me too, me too. I am so thrilled and happy about that. Um, last one in my family to get it, but that's the way it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yes, yeah. I'm glad. I was so happy that my parents got it first. It was just like such a, a weight off. I know. It felt so good to get it. Um, and we're, we're there. We're almost there. You know. I know. Thank you so much for coming on, Connie. You're of a course, gem. Haley. I'll okay. talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Okay, that's it for the episode. I did want to add one thing, which I don't think we had time or we just like didn't go in this direction, but I feel like it's worth saying. Um, and I've definitely written and talked about this before, but I think one downside to this value system whereby we identify and express ourselves through our consumers' choices is that it's not um, a widely accessible tool and expectations are not applied equally across every population. And it's also not a tool that everybody gravitates towards, nor does it necessarily come naturally to everybody. So I think it's it's an interesting tool, but it is overemphasized. And when we use it to judge people and it's not, it becomes um, prejudicial or 
maybe as Connie said, like transactional versus something more expressive and personal. That's, I guess, where uh, another way that it becomes a kind of societal drag or can. So just a little final food for thought. And that's my opinion. And, you know, I'm sure many of you have so many more interesting takes. So this is why I wish sometimes that this was just a group conversation. Somebody posted on their story the other day that they like constantly want to interject when they're listening to my podcast. And I totally know that feeling. So, um, you know, hopefully one day soon there will be opportunities for us to convene in a physical space. Um, but anyway, that sounded like I have a plan and I don't, but maybe I should. Maybe I should. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to Connie for coming on. I've linked to all her socials in the email I sent out. And thank you as always to Soft Streak for my theme music. I will see you all next week. Bye. Baby